morning, everybody. Welcome to This Week in XR podcast. Uh, I'm your co-host, Charlie Fink, tech columnist for Forbes.com, with my friend, Ted Chilowitz, futurist at Paramount Picture. And this week, our special guest host and dear friend, Joanna Popper. She is the global head of VR go-to-market for HP, uh, which introduced its new uh, G2 headset, uh, which is... um, I think maybe one of the hot gifts of the Christmas season, uh, as it is a genuine high definition uh, VR, high resolution VR headset uh, that is affordable for um, prosumers and uh, anyone with a gaming PC. Um, so it's a great deal and an even better deal than you're here with us, Joanna. So thank you. Welcome. Excited to be here with you all. Good to see you both. As I told you, this is really Ted and I's. Friday, the call we would have had Friday morning to talk about the week's news anyway, recorded. And uh, just so it's not two um, old Jewish guys talking about tech news, we make sure to bring in a friend to mix it up. Uh, uh, otherwise, too much talking to ourselves. Well, so. now everyone gets to have the, the <laughs> inner point of view of what uh, your coffee your coffee clutches are about, right? Exactly. Sure. So, you know, we take what the week gives us in terms of what we're going to talk about, although, um, you know, as we got prepped here, a lot of cool things came up. First, the Unity IPO. I mean, they're worth $25 billion now. Um, you know, this means that Epic, uh, which does not have any plans to go public as far as I know, uh, is probably worth in excess of 40 or $50 billion, which would, you know, make it one of the most valuable companies in the country. And then uh, along, along those lines, we got um, Microsoft buying ZeniMax, I guess the makers of Bethesda, they own Bethesda software. Uh, and um, Bethesda makes some of the, the world's most popular video games. And of course, uh, video games have been booming during the pandemic. I guess this is a move, Ted, um, to strengthen up Xbox and perhaps offer it, uh, give it some exclusivity over high demand titles. Yeah, I think so. I think um, what's sort of palatable to me, and I know you as well, and I'm sure Joanna as well, is that the stakes for what we broadly refer to as simulation behavior and simulation activity are increasing exponentially. And the, the value of these companies in the very high billions now and a deal between ZeniMax, arguably a historically important and very large game developer, going as a sale close to $8 billion, right? These are not small numbers for companies that a generation ago wouldn't have no concept that that what they were doing would be worth billions of dollars, right? Um, And it sort of sets the stage for an understanding that certainly the three of us have, and I imagine a lot of people that are watching this podcast have, that we have moved fully into the simulation world, right? We're doing it right now. We could have chosen to do this in person in different times and gather together with a camera and do this in person, but because of number one, convenience, because we're all in different places and this acceleration layer of the pandemic that has essentially been a forcing behavior on everything related to simulation, a company like Zoom, where in April had a valuation that was in the like, 45 billion, which made it larger than all the seven airlines, the largest seven airlines in the world combined, right? So one is doing simulation behavior and one is doing 
trying to hold to the old school of real behavior, moving stuff around. Flash forward today to September, Zoom now has a valuation close to 130 billion, which makes it bigger than IBM and bigger than AMD. And it's a video chat client, right? So take these pieces and parts of the Unity IPO, which is blowing up. And you know, I think there were a lot of people that said, we should buy some stock in Unity. And you're like, yeah, but do you really know? Are they ever gonna make any money? It's like, doesn't matter. Simulation behavior is the froth of the day and people from the investment cycle world are going to make money on this. And lo and behold, they're making money on this. So it's, it's a super interesting time to be us, for sure. So super interesting. Uh, we still have the TikTok drama unfolding in real time. I have a question first. Did you guys buy Unity stock? I did. I did not. I don't I did. I don't know if I'm allowed to say that. Stock tips. Stock tips. Well, it's already gone up. I mean, I didn't, I didn't even get in at the original IPO price, but I did get in on IPO up significantly. Yep. Yep. Now wishing I bought more. But congratulations to our friends at Unity yes. for yes. their, their success on, on this great, great IPO and for what you're bringing into the world. Absolutely. So uh, meanwhile, back to TikTok, uh, bonus points to anyone who can explain what's going on now. Well, Charlie, you know, my, my take on this is no different than last week. Much ado about nothing is my opinion on this. Like, the, there are so many more real things happening in the world than TikTok being this nefarious force that's going to destroy, destroy democracy. Um, there are real forces trying to destroy democracy right now. And TikTok is the least of our worries. This is my opinion. Yeah, my and some of the opinion. forces are contributing to the mess with TikTok, so. Yes. TikTok is part of the overall distraction in smoke and mirrors. Uh, you know, such as healthcare, wealth, inequality, and um, the inability of the government to handle the pandemic. Absolutely. And of course, it's a difficult thing to do. Uh, you know, we see well-run governments having trouble with it, uh, Western governments, and, um, you know, we just sort of kicked the can down the road and hoped it would work out. Uh, yeah, I think maybe we're an, an interesting... We're not talking about this abuse of science, which is putting us all at risk. Right, I think maybe a, an interesting perspective on this to get your take on, both of your takes on, is the, let's call them the TikTok emulators, right? So if TikTok was a Vine emulator that went away, and now Instagram and WhatsApp and everybody else dancing around it are going to basically remodel their software models to take advantage of the TikTok phenomenon, which was the Vine phenomenon. That may be the more important story is how susceptible a software platform that created fervor, but really didn't create any IP, right? Just created a, a, a lookalike platform of something that used to exist. And Instagram with a huge user base can easily create a modification to their visual platform to take advantage of that desire for that kind of human behavior, right? So to me, that's maybe the most interesting part of the story is how susceptible these companies are when they build something on effectively nothing, right? Like they don't really own anything. If you think about, if you think about, I think what's, what we consider stories that, I think that concept was originally invented by Snap as a, as, as a, yes, as a concept short, and then copied well by, well, very well by Instagram and LinkedIn actually just rolled the stories out this week. So we see, you know, where there's success, obviously other companies jump in and, and emulate. Right. Right. 
interesting, right? We get into this rule of 10 where when there's one good video chat client, suddenly there's 10 not so good video chat right. clients and you have to navigate them every day. Right. And now everybody, we're everybody wants to fish where the fish are. Yeah. So interesting, I think sometimes to see who, you know, it's, it's, it's the idea, but then it's the and, and execute upon that better or because they have their network effect, they end up being more successful with it. But I think Ted's point, your point is well taken, Ted. In, in a world where you, you have platforms entirely dependent on user-generated content, that, that content you know, will, go, will follow the people anywhere. Mm -hmm. uh, the other thing, of course, is, is these, these platforms are starting to compete on the basis of talent. So you know, with TikTok under threat, I've noticed a lot of TikTok celebrities saying, by the way, don't know if I mentioned this, but I'm on yeah. Instagram. You can find me on Instagram. You can find yeah, me on YouTube. They're, they're promoting their other feeds. And, and when they start to emphasize those platforms, people will, will start to use them more. Sure. And, and I think that's really where a lot of damage to TikTok can come, even if it's not banned, by seeing some of their top talent moving to other platforms and, and those platforms adopting some of its uh, strategies uh, and, and perhaps between you know, adopting their strat platform strategy and poaching their talent, they're gonna start getting people to move away from TikTok and we'll see it sort of slowing down a, a, you know, on its own without any external forces. I thought it was so crazy that somebody would pay $100 per TikToker. And remember that's $100 per account. So it's probably many hundred dollars for somebody who's super engaged with TikTok. Right. And how could it possibly possibly generate that, that. yeah exactly, exactly. Uh, you know well, they're so. young. i mean they're they're audiences that are hard to find so you know if you, in, in their they skew they skew young 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 audiences are tend to be uh, worth more for advertisers because they're still a longer life you know longer life ahead to make choices and become loyal customers so um you know one of the big you know, one of the present personnel although all of us come come from media and and in some ways traditional television models where that are advertiser supported i think we've, we've all worked in those environments ted still does in, in, in more of a sense than charlie and i do these days but you know, having finding audiences that are really hard to find is incredibly valuable for advertisers so that, that part you know, that part to me makes makes sense um so what, uh, uh, the other uh, big piece of news i think for us in vr although probably 14 million dollars doesn't impress people who are talking about billions of dollars, um, but our friends at Oso Software, uh, who have been doing a surgery simulation for, um, I'm gonna say eight or 10 years at this point. They're led by a very charismatic young guy, Justin Barad, who is uh, a programmer and an orthopedic surgeon. So he brings obviously a very unusual perspective to a VR company, but, uh, you know, and they've struggled a little bit because, you know, there are so many institutional barriers in medicine, right? Who's the training for? How do you get it in front of them? Who pays for it? Um, you know, everybody agrees it's great and it's needed. So he's really had to kind of thread the evangelism needle here uh, to find the right stakeholders. But the thing that really is, uh, I think important here is this money is from Kaiser, right? right? This money comes from right inside the industry. And in fact, from the insurance companies who ultimately 
are going to pay for the training because they either have to get it into medical schools, which is working but slow going, or they have to get integrated into residency, surgical residency programs. And that's where the insurance company comes in. Because yeah. if, if, you know, a, a trainee surgeon is a doctor and a very highly trained individual who gets paid a lot of money. So, you know, that includes their training time. That's what they're there to do. It's paid training. So uh, I think it's just really exciting. Their product is terrific. Everybody loves it. They've been working with uh, device manufacturers as well. But I, I think this may be a big turning point for them. Yeah, and this is something that is very much near and dear to my heart. Um, I've been involved in a number of pro bono efforts around VR for healthcare. Uh, a while back, we were able to get a VIVE grant years ago from UCLA to do some stuff with neurosurgery that became something really significant and still is today. Uh, and I'm involved with a number of different sort of hospital chains looking and figuring out uh, using simulation behavior for um, pain management. Um, being able to wear a VR headset instead of um, taking opioids or, or lowering your opioids for post-op patients. It's really a, an interesting and very worthwhile field. So within the, the, the fodder and all of the noise around things that are less meaningful, anything that touches healthcare and can propel, again, I, you know, I keep maybe I, like my broken record, anything that can propel simulation behaviors to find good veins of use like healthcare and, and, and medical overall is a very positive step. And you know, I look at a company like Apple that tends to have their eye on health and wellness in various ways. And whatever devices, you know, because of the watch stuff, they're very much health oriented, right? Or at least demonstrate that as a as a as a trajectory. And with whatever may be coming from Apple and head mounted, if they put energy toward healthcare and wellness, I think it's going to be a really good thing for a lot of people. Uh, and I know Joanna and I uh, are regular users of Chris Milk's software called Supernatural. I don't know if you're a, if you're a Supernatural. Oh, yeah, we talk about Supernatural, sure. Yeah. Or I, I work out in Supernatural every day. Yeah. And I'm, a, I'm not as, as intense as you. I'm more three days a week. But I <laughs> love it. Uh, my wife loves it. And, you know, it's essentially Peloton meets Beat Saber, and it works really well. And you work up a real sweat in it and it's real you know it's it's real athletic activity and 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 exercise that you're doing in our favorite medium which is virtual reality and it is showing a pathway toward using vr for wellness which i think is something that needs more energy and needs more more dollars put towards it more financing put towards it so this also thing is is a good step it's very exciting for me to see this happen. It, it there's a couple things that i really love. beautifully with a g2 headset <laughs> Well, there's a couple of things that I really love about about Supernatural. One is the so so you're at, I mean right now you normally in 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 the previous version of the world I would work out at ClassPass and go to different gyms all over the world in whatever city I was in. Which well, since COVID started, I've only been in one city and I've been to zero gyms. So so that so that my normal workout method is is has is, is not available to me or not available or I've chosen not to make it have it do it in the same way. Um, but with a VR headset, you can work out at home. You're active. You're moving your arms. You're 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 moving your legs. You're you're moving your core. And what's what's uh, the music is is you know uh, is uh, hits. You know they have a deal. I think really with music. Really good music. And it's a really good 
process that they create. Yeah, yeah and all, across all different genres. And the, the, the last thing that I think is, well, two more things I think are excellent about it. One, that around all around you, you see an environment. So you, you can be at the pyramids, you can be in the Great Wall of China, you can be in some the glaciers, you can be at a famous park in Oregon or Yosemite. And that, especially in a time like now, where I'm really going nowhere besides, you know, I may go from this room to that room or the other room, but you know, the fact that I, during my workout, I'm feeling like I got to travel to Chichen Itza or I got to travel to, you know, Petra or you know, one of the, which Petra happens to be the last great wonder of the world that I've never been to. Uh, so that, so I love that you just have, you know, you're working out, you're having fun. And then it's different than, than some of the other games and that were made popular that were, that people, where people ended up losing, you know, being, uh, having health benefits, but they were designed to be a game. This one is actually designed to be an exercise. So you have instructors, they, you have a set period of time. Um, so I love that. And there's a leaderboard, so you get to see. I, I am very happy that, that Chris is, uh, I called it at the time, Hail Mary Pass to save the company was actually fought in the end zone with uh, two seconds on the clock. So yeah. Yeah. I also want to talk about the farm on something that really worked great. So. You know, as an entrepreneur story, uh, you know, the story of, of Within is a great story about a, a very, uh, a, a guy who had tremendous resilience and perseverance and, and continued to innovate. E even when some of his bets were incorrect, he, he kept believing and he kept seeing. So, uh, you know, that's good on them. Uh, I got my quest too, by the way. And I, I unfortunately haven't been doing a lot of enterprise stuff with it yet because I think that's where it will be the most impactful because now you can kind of lead and do work-related stuff in VR, which you couldn't before. Um, but I've been practicing. You know, we have a, a big tournament um, among the, a big tournament in ProPut, which is a- You kind of and I are both doing this tomorrow. That's uh, right. And, and, uh, and it's, this tomorrow. it's this afternoon, dude. Well, that's right. Not this, today's Friday. It's this afternoon. At uh, I think I'm doing mine at four o'clock. Yeah. Yeah. Right. I've been pra I've been practicing. I have my first round, uh, first match. The Kathy Hackle. <laughs> Very exciting. That's great. So, so um, to, by the way, um, you know, go buy the Quest too. It is totally, totally. Uh, I also wanted to mention just on the med the healthcare side that you talked about earlier. I wanted to double down on that. Besides the obvious cons consumer benefit that we talked about, like with, with great uh, products like Supernatural and Creed and Box VR and man many others out there, I you know at HP we're working with a lot of a lot of uh, educational institutions like medical schools as well as hospitals and healthcare workers. Um, and because, uh, you know, Ted mentioned simulation earlier, the, the, the rate of retention for, for learning in VR yeah. is so high. It really you know, is. It's, you know, it's about 5x when you read a book, 10x when you listen to a presentation. So everyone out there listening to us is going to remember 10% of what we said. So you have to decide which, which of our pearls of wisdom are what they want to keep and capture. Um, but then there's about 75% when you are actually doing something and doing something in VR, that simulation has that impact. And so you end up retaining about 75%. And so studies that we've seen with uh, sur surgical training, you know, which is an area we work really closely with and a number of great companies out there, has, there's been data that shows that if you train on a, about a surgery in VR, but a year later, you'll still have 80% retention versus about only 25% uh, 
two weeks later if you train a more traditional method. So if you think about that, you know, surgeons are always learning new tools and new, you know, uh, you know lot, there's lots of new information and new tools coming all the time in, in the surgical world. And, and you think about the impact that that can have in terms of, you know, how long you're actually in the surgery, the number of minutes you're in there and, and the, pa the patient outcomes. There's a huge, huge potential, huge, huge positive ROI financially uh, and, and on our healthcare. For a huge overall impact on training in VR for, for anything in the medical area. So, it's part and parcel to a theory. I, I don't need to go into it deeply right now, but you could look it up on your own, whoever's watching this, of why you remember when, when we used to go to hotels, why you remember your room number in a hotel is distilled down what you're just talking about. So we can talk about it at a later date, but <laughs> there's a reason why you remember the room number in your hotel because it's a spatial memory. You associate speaking speaking of training and simulation a story that just dropped this morning uh, about um, a location-based entertainment company called dreamscape that was working with amc theaters they just announced uh, i guess last week a giant um deal with the university of arizona uh to use their alien zoo world as a basis for uh, studying biology and evolutionary biology, uh, and they're building a whole curriculum together. And then they just announced a deal with the Defense Department of Defense. Uh, they're not saying much about it, except that it's a multi-million dollar deal for them to have to help uh, build uh, technology and software uh, for for simulations. Uh, so that's as much as we know. Uh, but I think it's a very interesting. Pivot, of course, management says it's not a pivot. They've been doing this since the beginning. It just hasn't been the most visible part of their business. But I think it's another example, right? We saw Spaces pivot and got acquired by Apple, perhaps, uh, as a result. Uh, so, you know, a lot of the VR companies, although there was a, an announcement today, VR Studios is trying to develop home products mm -hmm. to, you know, answer uh, the slowdown in public places. But I just wanted to bring this up because like, Joanna is one of the world's leading experts in location-based VR. So uh, I thought that was an interesting bit of news and, and I'm, I've been thinking about what's happening, uh, you know, in that industry. And, um, you know, it's, it strikes me as one of those things where they're just dead, deader than nails. Uh, but when this thing passes, there's gonna be tremendous pent up demand. Yeah, I can, I can speak to that. So we work really closely with Dreamscape. They're using our, our HP reverbs in, in their locations as well as our backpacks and they'll be switching over to the, the generation two uh, when, when we start shipping it soon. So, so first I'll, I will verify that they were doing some of these other things before. This is not just a, a, a you know. No, I don't, think, I don't think anybody can wake up on Monday and say, hey, you know what, let's, let's pivot to education and then make a deal four months later for tens of millions of dollars with the University of Arizona. Yeah, this just wasn't the area that they were, that they were broad, like published, like doing as much publicity for. Um, so they, they are open in Dubai. They reopened their location July 14th, I believe in, in Dubai and that, in that uh, it's doing well there. Like people are back, coming back. They're being very, very, very open and, and transparent about, you know, their, their new operational processes, their new, uh, their new processes for, for um, the, the groupings, you know, so if you, if you book a, if you book a, a uh, time slot, 
the only people in that time slot will be people that you came with. So whether you're two people, four people, six people, you know, you'll you won't be in your time slot with anybody that you don't know. They um, are you know showing very clearly how they're doing their sanitization. So there, you know, a lot of interesting lessons from there. So so that that the, the, from what I, from what I hear, and, and you know, we work, we speak with their their Dubai team all the time directly as well. They're, they're, that location is doing well. Their U.S. locations aren't haven't quite reopened yet, but that's all dependent on you know local regulation, city officials, and and and, and so on. Um, but yeah, it's the, the, they have some really really interesting deals going biggest, on. And their two biggest competitors, the Void, and. Um, Blind, 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 blind. Zero latency, I'm guessing you're thinking? Uh, no, sandbox, sandbox. Oh, sandbox, yeah. okay. Zero latency, I'm, not, I'm talking about in the U.S. Uh, zero latency really doesn't have much uh, presence in the U.S. Oh, okay. yeah, they, have, they have a bunch. They have Dallas, they have, uh, they have Reno, they, they have a bunch. They have about, zero latency has about 50 locations worldwide. That I know. Um, so, uh, but, you know, the void, uh, obviously, you know, in trouble, has very expensive leases that they need to, renegotiate. A sandbox was the other company I was talking about. They were they were poised to grow quickly. They had raised a lot of money to build out new uh, locations and they declared bankruptcy last month. For the US part. Not 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 the Hong Kong part. Right. Understood. So <laughs> hopefully they'll they'll form a new subsidiary and they'll live to fight another day. Yeah. And this is all to be expected in this is all to be expected in these sort of early waves of figuring out where there is a business, what is the business, how does the business evolve, how does it scale, right? So just like Joanna is very close and friendly with the Dreamscape guys, I've been very close to them, both at my days at Fox and now at my days at Viacom. Uh, we continue to have a belief- and you guys are investors. Yeah, Vi I was gonna say Viacom's an investor, yeah. Yes, and we were investors in, at Fox as well. So, so we have a belief structure around the evolution of this forms of entertainment. We also have a very clear view of the fact of where it sits in the evolution of maturity of a platform and a business. And you have to have a long view of this kind of stuff. Um, so, you know, when the LBE business uh, essentially went on pause, just like many other businesses that were public facing, including the movie theater business, right, um, at large, uh, it is really fascinating to see companies that are nimble enough to start to take advantage of things they've had in the hopper. And this, again, goes right back to this thesis about the value of simulation. So without sort of like, I'll, I'll give you a little tease because Joanne has been in some discussions about a big education project that we're involved in that may have a VR component, um, something I'm me doing with LA. Me being, me being Viacom and Intel, yeah. Um, so we're doing a, already a public facing thing with LAUSD around virtual learning, and um, not to sort of tell you too much yet because we're still talking about it, but we certainly have been discussing with Joanna and others in the tech sector of how do we move out of the flat screen world into the virtual learning world to bring simulation behavior at scale to education, which is again, just like healthcare, something I'm extremely passionate about and uh, feel like there's a lot of upside to. So, so we're in it, uh, and Joanna's in it as well. We can't talk too much about the details. That'll be for an upcoming episode, but we are definitely in this thing. Let's, uh, let's, let's pivot then to the last thing we wanted to talk about, uh, which is SideQuest, yes. uh, which is an interesting, interesting little company uh, that yes. just raised uh, a little over $500,000 from Palmer Luckey, the founder of Oculus and, and others. 
Um, can you explain to us, Ted, what SideQuest is and why it's important? Yeah, so we were chatting about this before we started recording today, and I think it's really important when you understand that with every platform, that for understandable and arguable reasons have to start to build up their walled garden to create their economic shell, right? That's what Oculus is, right? It keeps going higher and higher, and we like it because it is refined and it works and it typically doesn't crash. And you know that this is a part of the reason why you have a walled garden. But it's also important to have a disruptive force in the walled garden. And if you have no disruptive force, you only have one voice in the conversation, right? So SideQuest, while it will be buggy and while it will be challenging in certain ways, allows developers to load things and bring things into the Quest that may or may not fit exactly with the guidelines of what Oculus proper is trying to do. And ethically, it's really important. It's, let's call it the minority voice, right? If we want to tie it to sort of a political dynamic. If everybody is on board generally with the majority of what this stuff is and how it's going to work well, you also need to have a minority voice, people that are willing to challenge things, push the envelope, show different ways of existence, show different forms of simulation use case. And this is an important part of the, the proper, like healthy ecosystem. You have to have an underlying disruptor. And what I believe is the value of SideQuest is that is the underlying disruptor. It's important. Um, what is what is Quest's attitude toward SideQuest? Uh, you know, I think certainly in the in the Palmer and Brendan days, and now even in the um, the, the sort of more corporatized uh, VR version of, of of what Facebook is right now, they they have a generally okay like let it happen don't stop it from happening but don't promote it overtly right it, it kind of lives where it should live like they're not going to try and quash it but they're not going to like embrace it it's a bit like in the in the ios world the the jailbreak days right when we used to jailbreak our iphones because there were just a bunch of things we wanted to do and Apple started to kind of react to that and realize they need to find this fine line between openness and closeness. And it's always changing. It's always moving, right? Mm -hmm. But arguably, the iOS store, with some really interesting examples that we could talk about, we talked about in past episodes about the epic um, iOS uh, sort of you know, war for the roses that's going on right yeah, now. Yeah, ongoing. Um, yeah, ongoing. But, but iOS has been more and more open and more and more accepting because they don't really want people to have to jailbreak to get that level of flexibility. Android has been more sort of jailbreak-ish by its nature, right? It's more buggy, it's more challenging, but it's more open. And a lot of developers prefer to work in Android because it's just less of a walled garden. So it's a, it's a philosophical thing. Yeah, I mean, if you think about it in this case, you could say if SideQuest is that, or you could look at you know all the everything around OpenXR as that, which is pretty much good nearly every other company is part of or I mean, Facebook maybe as well, but not not with their hardware. I'm not sure if they're part of the. So pro probably not, I would guess. But the, you know, the most of the other companies are doing OpenXR as a way to create that that op open ecosystem. Okay. So we're coming up on the end of our half hour, Joanna. But it's been great chatting with you, and uh, really, really fantastic to see you. I miss seeing everybody. In the I know. Room. It's it's actually <laughs> getting kind of worse uh, for me. I you know it's. Yeah, I think I kept myself really busy for a while. Um, 
but you know, after seven months of this, you, you know, you start to uh, to get cabin fever, whoever you are and wherever you are. And the thing I miss most is not places, but it's people. Yeah. So this is a good connection point for us. It's not quite the same as being yeah. there in person and sharing a coffee or a beer, but it's a, it's a good suitable simulation replacement. Uh, Charlie, we should probably do another one in VR. We did a few of these in VR using the spatial software. We really enjoyed it. There were some challenges with some of the latency and the ease of communication, but visually it's really interesting because you do feel more connected. You feel yeah. more like yeah. that person. Yeah, I did a fun podcast in VR chat the other day. Yeah, it's um, fun. They, they taped us in VR chat. It was really fun. And then the, the, the Venice Film Festival, also all, a, lot of, a lot of the social activities, including the award, the award show, actually took place in, in VR chat, which was, which was also really great. Yeah, yeah, I tried to go to that, but it, it, the server crashed on me. It just, there were oh. so many people there. Well, we participated with one of the projects that won. We, we participated with Finding Pandora X by Kara Benzing and Double I Studios. And so we took home best VR experience or took home with our little <laughs> <laughs> avatars. The avatars oh, right. took the the the, uh, the prop home. Yeah, beamed like Star Trek. It just beamed them to them. Yes. Okay. All right. Well, that's it for us this week, folks. Um, take a look for the print column with more stories and more details on Forbes.com, and we will see you. Charlie, one more thing I want to just jump in oh, with. Sorry. Okay, go. One more thing. So I, we did announce this week our ship date for the HP Reverb Generation Two. So we published that yesterday. If you already I played to get my review unit. <laughs> review units are coming soon. Review units are coming soon. We did do a very, very limited supply of review units pretty early. They're very, very, very early. But um, Charlie, for you, we want to make sure you get a full production production level <laughs> quality. So yours will be coming soon. Yeah. So we announced have a really big announcement for enterprising developers next week at the VRARA Global Summit, which will be on September 30th. So stay That's tuned. Right. For I'm, that. I'm, I'm speaking there, or I pre recorded a talk there. Um, so, you know, the great thing about VRARA Global Summit, which took place uh, at the end of May, or, or maybe it was the first week of June, was, you know, I mean, I've always liked that conference because it is so kind of grassroots and people from, you know, all over the world and not always big companies, but just, you know, individuals who are seeking, you know, a community. And uh, it was one of those conferences where, you know, it's expensive to attend any of these conferences. You know, there's airfare and there's hotel and, you know, sometimes the tickets are pretty expensive. So it's mostly limited to people who are either local to it or whose company is paying for them to be there. So there's a sense of exclusivity around them, which of course has its own charm. Uh, and you can't get a lot of that in the real, but what you in the virtual world. Um, but what you can get that you can't have in the real is tremendous scale. So, for example, my talk was attended by you know 1,100 people live, which is insane, right? Because when you give a talk at the conference, there's you know, I mean, if you really have a packed house for your talk, there's 200 people there. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, we made an announcement there. I mean, I think the, oh, the total conference had 12,000 people or so, and our, we did a keynote there in June, and there were 1,400 people listening right, crazy. live. Not even people who listened. Not even people watching, you know, the later. recording later. But yeah. that was synchronous. Yeah. yeah. So, so that's why anyway, we have more announcements there <laughs> next week. Well, I, I, I hope it's just as packed as it was last time, because the, the idea that there are people who didn't have access, who are getting access, 
almost makes the sacrifice worthwhile in my view. Yeah. So, um, you know, we lost, like everything else in this crazy pandemic, we lost something, but we found something else. So. Yeah, there's a give to get, exactly. Exactly. Have a great weekend, everybody. Thanks, Charlie.